0: Without any further ado, if you guys have Bibles, please open them to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have seen... would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Now when he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin." That is the word of God for the Crossing Church this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word.
1: Lord, thank you that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That Your mercies never come to an end. That they are new every morning. Great is Your faithfulness to us. Lord, Your Word says, The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. Lord, we have hope in You today. Because You have loved us. Because You have given us mercies that renew each and every morning. And most importantly, because You are faithful. That You were faithful, as we read in this text, once and for all, to go to the cross for our sins. So Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. And Lord, what we have not, please give us. What we know not, please teach us. And we, what we are not, please make us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys, go ahead and have a seat. Well, there are very few things in this world that scare me, that I'm afraid of, but There is one thing that I had to do five times, or in the process of doing five times, that scares the death out of me. And that's teaching my kids how to drive. (laughs) It is some of the hardest, scariest, again, nerve-wracking things I've ever had to do. I got my fifth one, uh, Madison, almost done. She's doing a good job. But with every single one of them, um, it's been scary. I almost would rather free swim with a great white shark than teach my kids to drive, right? Almost, almost. Can, can I get an amen from parents who have taught their kids to drive? Raise your hands if you're with me, right? Amen, amen. Uh, again, I'm finishing up with Maddie, and, and then with Maddie as well with all of my kids, there have been some crazy moments. One, we've almost hit parked cars in our neighborhood, you know, uh, two, we've driven on the sidewalk a couple times and not the street. Taylor, um... <laughs> pastors' kid, you're gonna get thrown under the bus. It's just part of the job, right? Part of who you are. But again, it's it's scary. It's scary. Now, and I look out amongst you, and I know the hordes of you little kids and kids we have coming up through here. And all I can say is, start praying right now, right? But let me give you some advice. Let me let me let me give you some advice on how to. To teach your kids how to drive. To teach your kids how to drive, you have to do it over and over again. What I mean do it is drive. You have to drive over and drive over and drive over again. Kids learn how to drive through repetition. Through repetition. And repetition is the key to learning anything, is it not? Um, to, to get in shape, you have to repeat a certain cycle. workout. get the heart rate up, eat certain kinds of food, right? To learn how to paint, you have to have the repetition of painting. If you want to learn an instrument, you have to have the repetition of practicing that instrument. Repetition is the key of life. If you really want to get better at anything, you have to have constant repetition. And we all listen to be true. Well, the last several weeks we've been going through Hebrews, basically the end of chapter 4 through chapter 10 today. And if you want your sins forgiven, if you want your conscience cleansed, If you want to obtain eternal life, repetition is not the answer. That's one thing we've learned throughout these chapters. Repetition, repeated sacrifices, is not the answer. The answer is the one-time sacrifice given to us by Christ Himself. And that's the good news for you and me this morning is that we live in the New Covenant, mediated by a greater high priest who executed a greater once-in-law And for all, sacrifice. And because of that, we can have confidence this morning that when the Lord says He will not remember your sins, your lawless deeds anymore, we can be confident that that is true because of what Christ has done once and for all. And there's no greater news in the world for you and me this morning than that. And so let's dive into our text this morning. Um, First we see, Repetition for the forgiveness of sin is not the answer. Repetition for the forgiveness of sin is not the answer. Hebrews 10, 1 through 4 and verse 11. Look at verses 1 of chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of these reality, it can never, by the same sacrifice that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they uh, they not have ceased to be offered since worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. Verse three, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. And what we see here, and what we're gonna see here in verses 1 through 18 of Hebrews chapter 10 is basically a summary of what we've been covering, again, since the end of chapter 4, all the way through here in chapter 9. And, and the big picture, the main thought that the author is trying to get through, again, follows through with this theme that we've seen from Hebrews chapter 1, is that Jesus is better, and he's saying that Jesus is a better high priest who mediates a better new covenant through a better sacrifice once and for all. That kind of summarizes the last five chapters of what we're looking for. And this is verses 1 through 18. It's again, it's a summary of all that. Verse 1, "...for since the law has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities." If you have been at the crossing at any length of time, kind of what Matt Whitney is talking about, we see the Bible through the lens of biblical theology. And when we look, we're talking and we teach through the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, we hear and we you've heard words of us say words of like, uh, there's a type or a shadow of things to come. These types and these shadows point us to the substance and that is of Jesus. Point us to the true form, as verse 1 says, of these realities. These realities, the true forms, is is Christ and what we've been talking about. That He is the greater high priest. He is the greater mediator. He is the greater sacrifice. He is the greater priest. In in Hebrews 9.11 it says, Christ is the good things that has already come. When we get these words, shadow and substance come from Colossians 2.17, where it says this, they are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And here we see, for since the law has but a shadow. So let's kind of dive in and unpack this a little bit. So what do we really mean by it? Let me just give you an illustration that might help you think about the difference between a shadow and a substance. Uh, Rita and I, we love to go for walks during the day, right? And a lot of times the sun is behind our backs and as we're walking, I see Rita's shadow, right? It's, it's, it's kind of out in front of her, you know, if the sun's behind us at a four o'clock, it's kind of pointing that way. And I can dimly see her, her the form of her. I can kind of tell a little bit about her hair. I can see kind of the, the features of her face and the shape of her body. It's a dim representation of her. Now, how crazy would it be that as we're walking, I would just constantly talk to the shadow. Oh, shadow, you're so beautiful. Oh, shadow, I just can't Wait to continue to do for this walk, you know, continue to go through this walk with you. First of all, Rita would probably stop, right, and be like, Bro, have you lost your mind? I'm right here. The real thing is right here. Come talk to me. Have fellowship with me. See, forsake the shadow. Jesus is better. The, the shadow of the Old Testament and the substance of the New Testament. The shadow is the Old Covenant. The the substance is Christ and the mediator of the new covenant. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying here is is don't look at the shadow. Look at me, the substance. Look to Christ. Jesus is better. Do not go back to the shadow. And let me kind of point this out even more when we talk about Jesus as the substance of the sacrificial system. Look at, at the verse four. It says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Now, if we really want to have an understanding of the sacrificial system under the Old Covenant, we have to go back to the book of Leviticus. And in particular, Leviticus 16. Leviticus 16 is one of the pinnacle chapters in all the books of the Bible. It goes over the Day of Atonement. What is the, what is the high priest, how is he supposed to sacrifice and make all these sacrifices for himself and the people of God? It's, it's found in Le, uh, Leviticus 16. Uh, we know it as the Day of Atonement. Uh, also known as Yom Kippur. Yom means day. Kippur means covering. And so to the Jewish, when they heard Yom Kippur, they heard it's the day of covering. That is the old covenant. The new covenant is, is the, uh, it, sorry. The day of covering their sins. It doesn't remove their sins. Because the, the blood of bulls and goats can't do that. So Yom Kippur is the day of covering. The day of atonement. And what would happen in Leviticus chapter uh, 16 verse 7, um, you had the bull where the, the high priest would sacrifice uh, the bull for the, for the sins of himself and his family. He would go, he would change his clothes, and then he would make sacrifices for the people. And he would take two goats. Two goat goats. Um, with again, with regards to the sins of the people. Now we could walk through the whole chapter. I want you guys to study Leviticus 16 on your own and go through the whole chapter. But these goats kind of show up throughout the whole chapter of Leviticus 16. And what we see here is that one goat has a very good future and the other goat has a very bad future. Okay. I love it. It gets you guys every time. If my wife was here, she would just be shaking her head because she hates that when I do that. But anyways, but we see these two goats. And again, they're 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 meant to to be for the for the people. And Leviticus 16 tells us that on the first goat they, that the high priest would uh, the high priest would cast lots. And he would pick out two goats. And one of the lots would fall on a goat that was offered to the Lord. The other would be what's considered and called the scapegoat. Now first, the goat that was offered to the Lord, he would be the one that would be killed. And his blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat between the two cherubim on the offer. And this was to, again, atone for the sins of the people. Um, this, this represented this symbolized the, the propitiation, the satisfaction of God's wrath on this substitute in place of the people. And then you had the second goat, and this was called the, the scapegoat. And the high priest, what the high priest would do is he would lay his hands on the head of the scapegoat, and he would confess the sins of the nation Israel. He would confess the sins of the people. And then there was to be someone there, and he would take that goat far, far, far away from the nation of Israel. And this symbolized this, that the sins of the people were taken away from Israel. Taken away from the holy camp at least for another year. But that get, that goat would never return. And again, this shadow, this shadow of these two scapegoats points us to the substance of Christ. Martin Luther called this the, the great exchange of what these two goats represented. Because this points us to 2 Corinthians 5.21 where it says this, "...for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of god and so when you think about that that scapegoat first we see the the goat that was a, a slain for the sins of the of the lord that was jesus but also this scapegoat we see that this scapegoat that when the when the uh, the high priest Aaron would put his again impute or transfer the sins of the people through that confession, what we see in Second Corinthians five one is that there was a transfer that took place. There was an imputation that took place between us and the Lord. The Lord got our sins. Our sins were accredited to His account, and we got Christ's righteousness. This is the great exchange that Martin Luther talked about. This is the substance of what Leviticus 16 and the two goats were the shadow of and what they were pointing to. See, our sins were trusted or credited to Christ, and Christ's righteousness was credited or imputed to us. And that is the great exchange. So you and I do participate. And and you and I do contribute to our salvation. We bring our sin. That's what we contribute to the salvation is our sin, and then we get Christ's righteousness. So because Jesus was our substitute who represented us on the cross, He bore the wrath of God that was due us in our place. That's what the... the, uh, Diving a little bit deeper when we're talking about the the shadow of the Old Testament law, the shadow of the sacrificial system, it points to the substance of Christ. Now, um, the blood of the goats... I want us to remember that because again, we said the first goat he would be be sacrificed and the blood would be sprinkled on the altar between the two cherubim or two angels on the the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. Details matter. That's the shadow. Well, what's the substance? Sometimes we miss this, but in John 20.12, this is one of the great things that I love about the Bible and biblical theology. This actually gives me chills when we start to think through this. But in John 2012, uh, Mary Magdalene is, is outside the temple she's met and she's looking in uh, outside the temple, outside the tomb of Christ on the third day and she's looking into the tomb. And this is what it says in John 2012. It says Mary looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus laid. One at the head and one at the feet. You see, where was Jesus' body laid? It was in between these two angels in the tomb. His linens there would have been laying there, and and they were folded nicely, but they were bloody. And where His linens and garments stained with His blood would have been, would have been in between the two angels. Which again takes us back to the goat that was offered to the Lord. The blood was sprinkled on the ark in between two angels. So like the cherubim on the side of the mercy seat of the Holy of Holies, Jesus' slain bodies was now on the mercy seat where we find forgiveness of our sin. Details matter. This has given us an idea of the shadows of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, how it points to the substance of the New Testament. And this is one of the reasons why we do communion every week. It's to remember what Christ has done on the cross for your sin and my sin. I mean, aren't you glad that we live in the New Covenant and not the Old Covenant? Aren't you glad that you don't have to come to this building for me to sacrifice a goat on your behalf? And then sprinkle its blood on the altar and then sprinkle it on you? Aren't we glad that we have these two, um, the blood and the wine, these these physical reminders of the representation of what Christ has done for us? It's a remembrance of what Christ has done for us, rather than the repeated sacrifices of the Old Testament. Aren't you glad that we don't have to make a pilgrimage to Israel each and every year? Aren't you glad that you don't have to bring your own goat or your own bird or your own whatever to to, to take to Israel for the sacrifice of your sins? Aren't you glad that we live in the new covenant? Aren't you glad that we live in the substance of the things rather than the shadow? So this is what we see. We see that the substance makes a once in perfected sacrifice and that is the answer for the forgiveness of our sins which is our second point a one time perfect sacrifice is the answer for the forgiveness of our sins and we see this in Hebrews 10 uh, 5 through 10 and 12 through 18 now in Hebrews 5 through 10 this focuses on Psalm 40 Psalm 40 is quoted in this in these verses over and over again. Psalm 40 is a declaration by King David that God ultimately doesn't want sacrifices. He did ultimately, what pleases God is not the blood of the bulls and the, and the goats, but what, what's, what pleases the Lord is, a, is a obedience, is a willing heart. And notice in verse 5 that the, how the author of Hebrews uses this Messianic psalm. He, he, he quotes Jesus. He ascribes a Messianic prophecy to this psalm. Look at that. It. it says, when Christ, verse 5, when Christ came in the world, he said, He said. So the author ascribes the words said by David in Psalm 40 to Jesus here in Hebrews. When Christ came into the world, he said verse 7. Then I said verse 8. When he said, then in verse 9, when then he added. And so what this does is he's, the author is highlighting um, one of the reasons why Jesus had to be a, a substitutional sacrifice was better than the animals. If you look at Hebrews 10 it says Jesus says behold I have come to do your will O God. Again this is a declaration by David that that the, what God wants is he wants a willing obedient heart. And Jesus says become I behold I have come to do your will. He obeyed the father's will perfectly by going to the cross. It was his will He voluntarily went to the cross for your sake and my sake. And in that, He obeyed the Father's command. And this is one of the specific ways in which Jesus corresponds with us as our substitute. We looked at this a little bit last week. Uh, Now last week we saw that Jesus corresponds to us by our nature. He became man. He became human. Here He corresponds by us with His will. You see, an animal doesn't willingly go to sacrifice for you and for me. But Jesus willingly went. That is what separates and makes Jesus' sacrifice more perfect than that of the animals. Because Jesus had a rational, volitional will to go and be our substitute. He said, here am I. I have come to do your will. Only one man, I love how one guy says it, he says, only man who is rational, volitional, and responsible being can serve as a proper equivalent to and substitute for men. Hence the incarnation, whereby the Son of God assumes our humanity, so that as man he might offer himself in the place of our fallen humanity. I love how one uh, Christian bro from the fourth century said this, Athanasius, he said this. He put on, Christ put on a body, so that in the body he might find death and blot it out. This is what pleases God the Father with Christ. That He willfully took on the the, the project, so to speak, of becoming our substitute. And in that, verse 9 says, He did away with the first and He established the second. He, He did away with the old covenant and He established a newer, better covenant. Again, it's established by His willingness to go and be the sacrificial atonement for our sins once and for all. Look at verse 12. It says this, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, He sat down at the right hand of God. We see that phrase again. This is the the third time we've seen this phrase in Hebrews. We saw it in chapter 1. We saw it in chapter 8. We see it here in chapter 10. And we'll see it one more time in chapter 12. You see, in verse 11, it tells us the priest kept on standing, continually offering repeated year after year, offering sacrifice after sacrifice because that never covered our sins. It never removed our sins. Only covered them. And here Jesus sat down. It is finished. There's nothing more for Him to do. His substitutionary atonement was accepted by God and was sufficient for all time, once and for all. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down. So the question for us is, what are the implications of this? We've been hearing about this over and over again for the last five chapters. What are the implications of this? And let me just give you a couple. One, for those who have put their faith in Christ Jesus. They have repented and trusted in Christ, in His life, His death, His resurrection, in the atoning work of His sacrifice, and for those who have not put their faith in Jesus. First, for those that haven't put their faith in Jesus yet. Uh, A group this size, we'd be remiss to think that everyone in here is saved and has repented and trusted in Christ. There are some in here who haven't done that. And today we would say is the day of salvation because in this passage, there is a sober warning. There's a sober warning for you and for me or or for those who are, are not in Christ. Verse 12 or verse 13. Hebrews 13, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. You see, those that haven't been covered by the sacrifice of Christ, there's a time coming where God is going to put his enemies under his feet and be made a footstool. And those who are not covered by Christ are considered by God to be His enemies. And that is going to be your judgment. If you have not been covered by the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus, then you are going to receive the just wrath that your sins deserve. They're on you. And trust me, you do not want to be God's footstool. So today, how do you you get out of being God's footstool? By repenting of your sins and by trusting and looking to Christ, the substance of the one who has covered or who has died in your place. Repent of your sins and believe in what Christ has done for you. That he is the the sacrificial lamb that takes away the sin of the world. He is the sacrificial lamb that takes away your sin. And you receive that by repenting of your sins and trusting in what Christ has done for you. And then for us as Christians, Uh, Look at verse 10 and notice the verb tense. It says, and by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We have been sanctified. Look at the tense of that. Have been sanctified. That's past tense. That's something that's already happened. Uh, This is describing our position. Because of Christ's substitutionary atonement for you and for me, because His blood was shed on the cross, he has sanctified us. That is our standing. In verse, That's why in chapter 3 of Hebrews, He called us holy brothers and sisters. We have already, right now, been made holy. Right now, you and me, we are already perfect. We have already been made holy because of Christ. We are in Christ. He has sanctified us through His sacrifice. We were separated. We were alienated from God apart from Christ. And now because of Jesus, we are now um, in Him and have been sanctified totally. He sees us as holy brothers and sisters without sin. Our sin has been cast as far as the east is from the west. As He looks at us, He sees Christ's righteousness. And that is really good news for you and me this morning. But let's drill down to that even more because it gets even better. In verses 5 through 10, we, we listen to the words of Jesus to us. And here we see in verses 15 through 18, we see now the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, speaks to us. So Jesus speaks to us in this chapter, and the Spirit speaks to us in chapter. Look at verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Now, I don't know about you, but that last verse or last two verses, 17 and 18, are some of the best verses in all the Bible. If I was you, I would highlight them, I would underline them, and I would memorize them. That the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, says that He will remember your sins, my sins, your lawless deeds, my lawless deeds, no more. Where there is the forgiveness of sins, there is no longer any offering. Why do I say that those are the best? Because we get to experience a number of emotions and truths in these verses. We get to experience them deep in our souls right now. We get to experience the security because this covenant is that I will make with them, declares the Lord. This covenant is based on the Lord. On His Word. on a, He can never lie. On His faithfulness where He's 100% faithfulness with His words and His promises. Uh, we, we, we experience the hope because we have the, the law of God written on our hearts. And now you and I know what the will of God is for you and for me. We can have confidence that we are loved and forgiven because the Lord doesn't remember your sin and my sin, your lawless deeds and my lawless deeds no more. And we can have an experience once and for all, this comfort that it is finished. And where there is the forgiveness of these, there is not no longer any offering for sin. Christ is the perfect sacrifice. His death once and for all. It is finished. So, so these, these last final words in Hebrews, we, we see the security, the hope, the confidence that we are loved and forgiven and find the finality of Christ's substitute for us. Truly those of us in Christ have crossed over from death to life and are covered in the perfection of Jesus. So let's focus our attention in the remaining minutes we have left on verse 17. I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. We are totally forgiven. Forgiveness is one of the pillars of the new covenant. Some some would even say, maybe even from our perspective, we might even say that forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. is the heart of the new covenant. So what does it mean that God will not remember our sins and lawless deeds anymore? One thing it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that God is forgetful. He's not a forgetful God. I, on the other hand, am am forgetful. Maybe some of you are forgetful. The older you get, it seems like the more forgetful we become. And I feel this uh, effects of losing my memory uh, over and over again as I get older. And I probably got it from all the dings I had playing in sports, right? But one of the reasons why I love my wife, among others, is that she still has a great and sharp memory. And we'll be sitting, we went out last night to celebrate Valentine's. By the way, men, Valentine's is coming up on Monday. Uh, we went out and celebrated it this past week and, and we're just sitting there talking and we're just, we just kind of, every time we go to Valentine's, we just look over our life and say, man, the Lord has been good. We've had some of our moments, we've had some ups and downs and some all arounds, but the, the consistency is the Lord has been faithful and good and true to His promises to us. And we start talking about, uh, a little bit about our kids. She's like, do you remember when, you know, JT was, Five years old, and he did this, this, and this. And I'm like, no, I don't remember that. But that's why I love my wife, because she remembers that. Mine's like a steel trap. And, and I'm forgetful. And every now and then, we, we break out the memory boxes of uh, things that we have stored over the last year since we've been... Since we've been married, they're up in the attic, and we'll break them out. And sometimes we'll we'll have the kids with us, and we're going through the pictures. Or when Reed and I were, you know, little shavers. Well, she wasn't a little shaver; I was a little shaver. And we were growing up, and our kids are looking at us like in in middle school. And in middle school, they're they're seeing me, and they're like, "Dude, Dad, you had a mullet. You know, I had this sweet mullet, feathered hair. You know, looking good. I had the acid wash jeans, pegged with some nice deck shoes. Any of you guys know what I'm talking about in here? Raise your hand. Yeah. And then they look at pictures of my wife where she had the big hair where it took about ten bottles of Aquafina. Not Aquafina. Uh, Aquanet. <laughs> Aquafina is water. Aquanet. Man, I'm, I'm struggling today. Forgive me. I'm still, I've been a long week. Um, Aquanet, just to keep her hair up. Uh, right? we, we, we forget those things. We need reminders. Well, God is not forgetful. He's not forgetful like we are forgetful. God does, in fact, remember. He remembers all things. And we should be grateful for it. We We should be especially thankful that He remembers, again, His promises to you and me. He We should be thankful for that He remembers and what His Son Christ has done for you and me in His substitutionary atonement. He remembers these things. But when it comes to our sins, that's another matter. He does not remember if you're in Christ. I had a good story this week. I read a good story this week. It was about a young man who was having visions of the Lord. The Lord was, was kind of speaking to him through visions. And one of his friends asked him, the next time you have a vision or you're talking with the Lord, please ask the Lord of the past sins that I still need to confess. And his friend said, you actually want me to ask Jesus about the sins that you have committed that you still need to confess? And his friend said, exactly. Please call if anything happens. So about a week later, you know, he, he calls his friend and says, hey, I had another vision of the Lord and and the friend asked, "Well, did you did you ask what I did you ask him what I asked you to say to him?" And he said, "Yes." And his friend just kind of leaned in. He said, "Wait, well, what did he say?" With anticipation, his eyes were narrowed. He was focused. What did what did Jesus say? And his friend says, "These were his last words. These were his exact words. I don't remember." See, gospel joy happens when men and women accept with an unwavering trust that their sins have not. Been, have not only been forgiven, but also not remembered anymore. They've been washed away by the blood of Christ. Uh, it's in here, been forgiven, but not also remembered. We might say, we're forgiven and forgotten. I love how Charles Spurgeon says this, talking about this. He says, The Lord makes a clean sweep of the whole dreadful heap of our sins. They are all driven away at once by one stroke of his almighty mercy. And this is the very joy and the glory of the Gospel absolution. The believer knows that his sins are not in the process of being pardoned, but they are actually pardoned at this moment. No remnant of our sin remains to be dealt with in the future. The whole mass is put away. That's what we're talking about here. God does not remember your sin. He forgives. Chooses not to remember. This is a game changer for your walk and my walk. Do you believe this this morning? I mean, do you really believe this this morning? That God is not sitting here waiting for you to mess up to bring out some past sin to be like, gotcha, I knew you were going to go back to us because of what you did before. He's not holding it over your head. No, He does not remember your past sins. You are totally forgiven. You are perfect, holy, pure. Do you believe that this morning? What would happen if, you, if we all like really truly grasped that this morning? How would it change our walks? How would it change the way we respond in relationships? How would it change the way we, would, when we sin? How would it change our hearts if we truly understood and believed this? I think it would make a massive difference. A massive difference, but let's even take this forgiveness we have in Christ one step further practically. Again, we say that God does not forgive God does sorry, God does forgive and forgets. He remembers our sin no more and means he will never again bring up our past sins and hold them over our heads. In Ephesians 4:32, we are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. We are to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. I don't have time to go into the, to the depths of this, but we are to forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. That means that you and I don't hold past sins of our spouses, of our friends, of our family members, of our co-workers over their heads if we have forgiven them. You see, one of the most destructive things that we can do in a relationship is forgive but not forget. But we have the the Holy Spirit that indwells us. We have God's Word that informs us. And we have a God who has forgiven us and doesn't remember our sins. And He calls us to do the same. He calls us to do the same. Forgive and forget. That is what Gospel forgiveness is. And it's tough, isn't it? It's tough. We have to battle with this on a daily basis. But this is our desire to to forgive as God forgives us and our sin. That we want to not remember or hold sins over our spouse, our friends, our family. We want to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. Well, this is the summation of Hebrews 10, 1 through 18. What we've seen is that when it comes to saving a soul... When it comes from paying for our sins, repetition is not the key, but a once and for all substitutionary sacrifice. The substitute of Jesus. And this is what we've learned over these last four chapters, maybe to sum it up. What we've learned is that Jesus is better. Jesus is better in all these areas. He is the better temple. He is the better Passover lamb. He is the better sacrificial goat. He is the better scapegoat. He is the better high priest. Jesus is better. And so this morning as we walk out those doors, let, let this truth, let this summation of what we've learned in the last five chapters, what we've learned in the last ten chapters, that Jesus is better in every respect, but in particular when it deals with our sins, that we are forgiven. That our position is that we are holy, unstained by sin. And in practice, because we are positionally holy, we are becoming more and more like Christ on a daily basis, as Second Corinthians 3 says. And so let us pursue Christ with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, understanding that this is the foundation in which we stand on. That we are forgiven and the Lord remembers our sins no more because of what Christ has done for us through His life, through His death, through His resurrection once and for all. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this summation. we're just thankful again for Your life, Your death, and Your resurrection. We are thankful for Your substitutionary sacrifice. We are thankful that we have a whole Old Testament. These shadows of of people, of of sacrifices, of places that point us to the substance that point us to Christ. And so Lord, we're about to, to take communion. And we take communion because again, it is the declaration of the substance of the sacrificial Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in the Old Testament. And so Lord, thank You for again this day. Watch over us. And may we rest in assurance that we are holy, made perfect by the blood of the Lamb. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.